to the Every Word Podcast. All right, well, welcome back to the Every Word Podcast. Thank you guys again for joining us, and we hope that um, you're having a great day. And we're going to go ahead and jump into the Word today, and we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 10. Um, Now, just a reminder, uh, if this is the first time for you listening to the podcast, we do read out of the New Living Translation. So as we go through Scripture and we read, um, if you want to follow along, that would be the version to follow along with us in. Um, Now, this episode is going to be very similar to our episode on Genesis 5 and 6, if you remember that, if you listen to it. Um, So just like Genesis 5 was a genealogy, Genesis 10 is the same way. Uh, Genesis 10 is actually the genealogy of the descendants of Noah. So um, in that chapter, you begin to see uh, the different lineages of Japheth, Ham, and uh, and of Shem. So because that's a lineage, uh, we are not going to take the time to go through and read all that because it essentially boils down to a lot of names and a lot of different generations. Um, But what we want to do is similar to what we did in chapter 5, and that's to kind of give the highlights or the the key things that we kind of took away from it. Uh, But we do encourage you to go back and in your own time, go back and read through that. Hopefully um, that will help you kind of get a grasp on the lineage of those that came after Noah and after the great flood. So with that being said, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, I'll give my section here of my notes on, on chapter 10, and then Brother Ethan will follow up after I'm finished. Um, so for my portion of chapter 10, uh, where I kind of focused on was in verse 15, uh, this begins to tell of Canaan's uh, descendants. So if you'll remember back, if you were listening to our, our episode uh, when we talked about, I believe it was in chapter 9, when we talked about the uh, the curse of Canaan and Canaan's descendants um, because of the actions of Ham, uh, part of that curse was that uh, Canaan's descendants would be servants to the descendants of Shem and of Japheth. Um, and this is part of this uh, coming into fruition. So th- verse 15 begins to kind of spell out uh, who are who, who becomes the, the descendants of Canaan. And uh, some of these are uh, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, uh, the Jebusites, and uh, what they're kind of an umbrella term given to the descendants of Canaan is the Canaanites, naturally. Um and so we, we see these these names given out, and, and these are going to be parties that we'll probably see more of, or we will see more of, as we get deeper into the word. Um, but just a few highlights on some of these some of these people and these nations. Um, so the Hittites, uh, they they were occupiers of Canaan. Um, and just kind of some, some tidbit facts about that. So, uh, Bathsheba, uh, who was, uh, she was the wife of a Hittite. Um, and, and we will read about Bathsheba, uh, a little bit later when we start talking about David. Um, and then Esau's marriage, uh, of two Hittite women. Uh, we will get to that as well. When we talk about, uh, Jacob, um, we have we have Jacob and and uh, all those uh, Jacob and Esau, excuse me, and uh, the Hivites. Uh, God drove those people out uh, during the Israelite conquest, and you can read more about that in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse one. Uh, the Jebusites are controlling Jerusalem before David's reign, and ultimately uh, they become bond servants during uh, King Solomon's reign. And you can see some of that in First Kings chapter nine, verses twenty through twenty-one. And the Amorites were also occupants of Canaan. Uh, they tried to come against the Israelites' uh, conquest uh, many times, but they ultimately failed. And ultimately, they became subjugated as slaves. So the point I'm trying to make here, and the reason I'm kind of bringing some of these up, was this this holds true that the descendants of Canaan uh, became, uh, you know, like I said, bond servants, uh, subjugated as slaves. They became what they were cursed to be. Uh, they became servants to the descendants of Shem and of Japheth. So just uh, another example of how God is holding on to his word and how these, these things, uh, they hold true over time. So uh, other than that, I didn't really have any major notes uh, coming out of chapter 10. Uh, I know Brother Ethan has some uh, notes on a couple verses there. What do you have for us, Brother Ethan? Yeah, AJ. So I I focus uh, a little bit here in my notes on a guy named Nimrod in this passage. So, you know, most of this passage is 
you know, the descendants of so-and-so were so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Well, there's one person who's singled out as somebody who's kind of special, and it's this guy named Nimrod. And uh, in the NLT, in this translation that we're, we're using for this podcast, he's called the greatest hunter in the world. Now, the more literal translation is he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And that's how I know NASB, I think King James, that's how they translate it. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean? He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Well, one interpretation that I came across recently was uh, that it could mean that he was a mighty hunter in defiance of the Lord. It's uh, a mighty hunter in the face of God. And so, uh, I, so I think this translation plays a lot better into the overall story here. We'll, we'll read in uh, just a few minutes in chapter 11 about uh, Babel, which uh, is, is Babylon. And uh, we'll, we'll notice that there's some overtones of Nimrod and his defiance of God and how Babylon, how it's founded, it's also founded in defiance of God. So it describes here that Nimrod, he goes and he, 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 uh, founds all these cities. And, and one of those cities is, as I said, Babylon. And, and this may seem like a minor detail, but, uh, we're going to see that, uh, Babylon, uh, is becoming, uh, through scripture associated with direct rebellion against God. And, in many ways, Babylon becomes a type of anti-God or an anti-Christ, uh, you know, becomes the embodiment of world and sin, worldliness. And actually, if, if you've ever studied end-time prophecy, eschatology, eschatology is what the fancy term is. But if you're into that, it's actually pretty heavily implied in the Bible that the Antichrist will come from Babylon. You know, it kind of makes sense, right? Babylon... Uh, we read here, we're going to read in, in Genesis 11, that it becomes this archetype of rebellion against God. It makes sense that uh, the person who kind of embodies rebellion against God, the Antichrist, would come from Babylon as well. And so, uh, just a fun fact, if you're curious, hey, where's where's modern-day Babylon? Uh, well, ba- Babylon, the city itself, is in ruins right now, uh, but it happens to be in modern-day Iraq. So, of course... Uh, Bible prophecy is subject to interpretation, uh, uh, but just just in my opinion, this seems to be the most consistent view of end time prophecy that the Antichrist would come from come from Babylon. So I guess uh, that's just the the chips and salsa. Before we get into the founding of of Babylon, we'll see here in chapter <laughs> eleven. It, it's uh, there's a lot that goes into it. So all right, well I guess I guess that's all I have. Uh, I guess we'll go. And that to was chapter ten. <laughs> chapter ten. We're done. All right. Let's go on to Genesis chapter eleven. So I've got the first reading here. So I'm going to be starting in verse one and going to be reading through verse nine. All right. Genesis eleven verse one. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way... He scattered them all over the world. All right, I'm going to hand this over to AJ. Go ahead, man. 
All right. Well, I've got a few notes here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I've got a few notes here on uh, some of these scriptures. The first one I wanted to point out in verse 1, um, I think that's a very great scripture. It seems very simple, and it is, but it further clarifies that, you know, we are all one people. Originally, we all spoke the same language. We used the same words, and it reaffirms the fact that we are all interconnected, and we are a collective reflection of him and um, in verse 3, um, this is just kind of a, a tidbit fact, um, not, a real, not a lot of a spirituality in this note, but uh, for those of you who just may be curious, um, the reason for brick and tar versus stone and mortar, um, you do see that verse kind of points it out, was due mainly to the geographical reasons. Um, so this region where this is going on, ancient uh, Sumer, was ultimately a huge marshland, so no stone quarry. No tree forest or anything like that were available for traditional construction materials. Therefore, the cities of this region were constructed with brick and tar. So, um, a little bit, a little bit out of the ordinary, but a lot of that was driven due to the the geographical uh, situation that this town was in, or that this this uh, tower was being built in. And we see down verses four through seven. Uh, these verses demonstrate. Uh, just how powerful mankind can be when they come and they work together. I, I know it, lately at my church, um, this this verse, uh, verse 6, actually has been quoted quite a bit in a rather unconventional way. Um, and I like it a lot um, because verse 6, God himself says that there's nothing that man can't do. Um, when they're united, essentially, that, that's it's God, you know, coming to that realization or making that declaration, um, you know, and, and naturally we're talking about the Tower of Babel. So the thing that they're coming together to do is not a good thing. But you can also take that verse and say, but when mankind come together for a good thing or for the purposes of the Lord, then there is nothing they can't do when they are united. You know, um, I, I think of the verse that says, you know, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And a lot of times, and I'm not trying to kind of get into that verse and its explanation, but a lot of times we take that verse as saying, you know, um, uh, you know, it, it can't keep, you know, it can't keep us out or whatever. But the way to interpret that is it, it can't, it, it can't not keep us from taking back uh, what should be ours uh, from the enemy. So the point being there is, you know, when people are together, they're in a like mind and one mind and in one accord, we, we see um, there, there's very, very little um, that they cannot accomplish. and But it's just so important on how we decide to, to use that uh, collective power. Um, here right. they chose a, a poor choice. Uh, they were found working for glory, for power, and for fame. Um, and, you know, there's a possibility, there's some that postulate um, that one of the reasons God is breaking them up, that we see that in the, in the verses to come, is that he feared that they would repeat the lifestyles that they that was seen in the days before the great flood mankind was going to fall back into that same proverbial rut and i mean you could very well see this um you know because they, here they are i mean just you know a few descendants away from from noah and the great flood and here we are we're we're back to building things that edify man and we've for, we've forsaken god even though he, he brought our ancestor noah and our families uh through the flood literally um so you know again just just how amazing it is, how easy, it, how easy man can find themselves uh, just completely turned away from God in just, just a few short uh, generations time. And, you know, it's great if we can come together. My point is it's great if we can come together and, and we can work together in harmony and in unity for the Lord. Um, but we've got to, we got to watch it because it's so easy and so tempting when we work together and we begin to, you know, when you, when you come together with people that you can work well with and you, you feel yourself kind of gaining ground on whatever it is you're working on, there starts to become a bit of like a power rush. It's like, Oh man, we can do anything, you know? Um, and there, that's a door there. There's an opportunity where that can turn into maybe something that was meant to be good now turns into something that um, is not so good. You know, we, we tend to start to uh, satisfy our flesh. We take on some fame where we shouldn't or we take on some power when we shouldn't, things like that. Um, but the point is, if we can come together for him. Um, there is no force, not even Satan himself, that can stop us. So, so very, very Amen. important uh, there in those in those verses.
And uh, my last couple notes here on verses 7 through 9. Verse 7 is a pretty widely accepted biblical reasoning for why we see such a variation in languages among humanity. Um, and, and now this is kind of getting into my own personal beliefs. Um, I, there's not a lot of evidence here to back this up. I, not that I know of. Brother Ethan may know. He's a, he's a Bible scholar. Um, <laughs> not in the slightest. But, <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> Later, and you never know. Um, but anyway, my my own personal uh, take on this is I think this is also a time where, because it does say that that God scattered them. Um, you you know you hear and and we've seen uh, groups of humans in some very remote places, like some very some places where conventional wisdom is like, okay, they've been there for thousands of years how in the world did they get there? Because they they got there before there was really a suitable means of transportation for them to get there. And the ones I'm thinking about are some of the ones that you find on these remote islands and things like that. And there are some that possibly wandered out there, managed to get out there, and then some natural disaster happened and it created an island and they got left behind. But I think there's also some people that have been scattered to places um, that it would not necessarily have made a lot of sense for them to have gotten to um i would say through a natural progression in the short amount of time the relative short amount of time um that it's been since these these events have happened um so i i think this is also a good explanation for why humanity has spread itself uh so far across the globe i think this was god's way of, of doing some spreading and uh, again that is open to interpretation and argument um, I don't I don't stand behind that with any real evidence. Um, that's just kind of my own interpretation. So um, but anyway, I'll leave that as it is. And that's about all I have. Oh, one more thing. Babel also means the gate of God. And I think you actually hit on it earlier, Ethan, is that this is kind of the foundation of Babylon, which itself becomes a symbol of human rebellion throughout the Bible. Um, but other than that, that's all I've got. So I know you have a book and a half on what's coming. So I will turn it over to you and, and I'm ready for your sermon, sir. Oh, my word. <laughs> hey, I, I had no idea about the gate of God thing. So ba- I guess I see it. Bab L, L being God. Okay, that's cool. So uh, I know another reason why they call it Babel is because Babel sounds like the Hebrew word confusion. So that's mm-hmm. it's interesting that uh, it can also mean that. I did not know that. And, uh, hey, I liked, man, remind me, because, you know, I do have like a mini sermon here. But remind me about, you You, you made the point that, uh, you know, people coming together in unity. Oh, man. If it's in real perfect with uh, one of my points, so if I don't if I don't mention something about unity, you know, uh, <laughs> remind me by the time I get uh, done done with my my sermonette. <laughs> I'll hold you to it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Well. Well. Hey. Great notes, AJ. Um. I, I guess I'll I guess I'll get started with this. So, uh, like you said, God notices the power of unity among uh, the people of the world here and. And uh, they are able to communicate with one another and they're able to work efficiently. They're able to work united as one. And they decide to build this city and build this tower uh, that reaches to the sky. That's how the NLT puts it. But a, a better word for sky here is heaven. That's the uh, the more correct term here. And this verse is saying that man in, mankind indeed wanted to exalt themselves into the heavenly realm. And in, in, in the ancient world, and why this is important is there's this fascination with the so-called high places. You'll see this scattered throughout the Bible, and it's usually referring to uh, idolatry and sacrificing to, to idols doing you know, rituals, ritual sex, ritual sacrifices to, to idols. And so in the ancient mind, the, the high places are the dwelling places of the gods. you know, the mountain of the gods that comes to mind in popular culture is, is Mount Olympus. And that's the, 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 the Mount where all the Greek gods live. But in the Bible, there's there's a parallel to this. There's a similar mountain in the Hebrew Bible, and it's and it's called the mountain of God. This mountain actually changes location throughout Scripture. So, the most famous one is Mount Sinai, where Moses 
has an encounter with God in the burning bush. And, and Mount Sinai is also where the law is given to the Israelites when they come out of Egypt. And it also happens to be the place where Elijah encounters that s- the still small voice of God. Mm-hmm. However, the mountain of God moves from, south, from, from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is where the Temple Mount is. It's where Jerusalem is. Now, if you, you look up on Google or if you ever go there, Mount Zion is really not that impressive of, of a mountain right now. <laughs> But that's actually <laughs> going to change one day. You know, it's, it's no Mount Everest. But one day, mm-hmm. it, it, it's going to be the tallest mountain on the planet. It says it like this in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. So not only will God's mountain, the mountain of God, be the tallest mountain on the earth, it's it's a symbolism, it's a symbol, it's, it's signifying that God is going to be exalted above everyone and everything else those idols every other person they're they're not going to compare to the mountain of god their mountains are going to be brought low whereas god's mountain is going to be brought high and so uh why am i saying all this so you can see here in this passage that these people are trying to build a man-made mountain into heaven And just like Adam and Eve were enticed with the temptation to become like God, and so that's why they took the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can see here man is again trying to become like God. They are trying Mm -hmm. to reach heaven and make their name known. Yeah, that's what they said. They said, We let's build this and let's reach let's get up to the sky. Let's let's get it up to the heavens and make a name for ourselves. And so their purpose is to make their name known as opposed to God. Now, this is a question to ask ourselves. You know, we are the people of the name, the people of God's name. We bear God's name and and as a result, we 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 should not, we cannot carry it in a way where the glory that belongs to him is given to a name that isn't his. And so, you know, the question to ask ourselves is, are are we doing ministry to promote ourselves or is it to promote God? If you can't firmly answer that it's for God, you may be building a tower of Babel. And so Mm -hmm. the, the, the motivation behind this, and this is something I just recently learned the the motivation behind the building of, the Tower of Babel is nothing but demonic. And there's this really interesting passage in Isaiah chapter 14 when when the prophet Isaiah, he prophesies against the so-called king of Babylon. Now, it's it's unclear if this is the human king of Babylon or if this is some spiritual uh, person who's kind of influencing the kingdom of Babylon, some sort of demon. And so this is how the, the, the New Living Translation reads it. Um, in Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 15 says this how you are fallen from heaven O shining star son of the morning you have been thrown down to the earth you who destroyed the nations of the world for you said to yourself I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north I will climb to the highest heavens and become like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. So you can see here, this king of Babylon, this morning star is what the passage, uh, how the passage describes this person. His whole purpose is he is ascending to heaven and he's trying to set his throne above God. And he's trying to uh, preside on the mountain of God 
and become like God. This is exactly the, the same temptation that Adam and Eve faced. This is, this is exactly what was going on with the Tower of Babel. And so I think this passage is, is calling back to this story. I don't know if this is a future uh, you know, incident for the King of Babylon or if this is referring back to the Tower of Babel. It's, it's kind of unclear. But something that's really interesting is that the, the morning star mentioned here in this translation is sometimes translated as Lucifer. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, the Lucifer, Satan himself, is associated with humanity's attempt with building the Tower of Babel. It's when we try to build our own name and reputation in our own kingdom that it's, that it's Satan who's actually working in our lives. That's why Jesus said in Mark 12 that the most important commandment is loving God and our neighbors and not ourselves. Right. It's about God and others. And when we build our own mountain, when we build our own tower and try to make a no- name for our own selves, it only brings chaos and destruction. So when we decide to not build our own house, but instead ascend to God's holy mountain, Something different occurs, and I'm going to talk about these different mountains real quick, and I'll I'll be wrapping up here on my sermonette. (laughs) Uh, But Moses ascends Mount Sinai, the Mount of God, and something different occurs than Babel. He receives the law, which gives uh, direction and instruction for God's people on how to live faithfully and righteously, and it brings order to their lives. And when Elijah visits Mount Sinai, he he goes there and he's confused. And instead of leaving there confused like uh, the Babylonians at the Tower of Babel, he leaves with direction for what God wants to do through him and in his life. And so uh, we can see here that when We go to God's mountain. We come with chaos and disorder, but we leave with unity and purpose. It's exactly the Mm -hmm. opposite of what happens with the Tower of Babel. So now I'm going to, I remembered, so let's talk about unity real quick. So, (laughs) you know, the the people of Babylon come together in unity, but, 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 but because they come there with a selfish reason to become like God, to overthrow God, to make a name for themselves and not for God, the result is disorder and chaos. But there is a parallel of this story, and it's found in the New Testament. It happens to happen on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and it happens right after the resurrection of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Peter and the rest of the disciples are told to go and wait on the promise of the Father. And it says in Acts chapter 2, it says that they were with one mind and one accord. They had come together in unity and in purpose, just like the people of Babylon. But instead of trying to build a name for themselves and do something out of pride and self-centeredness, they go there because Jesus instructed them and they knew that God had a word for them and God had something bigger for them. They went there in humility and were seeking the face of God. And you can see there's two different motives between th- these two parallel stories. And the funny thing is, is that there's a supernatural involvement on the language aspect that happens in both of these stories. In Babylon, a ton of languages are given, but the problem is nobody can understand one another. And it just brings chaos and confusion. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost comes in, when God is involved with it, yeah, there's a plethora of languages that pop up. Mm -hmm. But the difference is people are able to understand and they not only do they understand, but they hear them talking about the wonderful works of God. Babel was all about their own works, about how they could ascend up into heaven. But for the day of Pentecost, it was all about magnifying God. And so just to tie in with what you said about unity, when we come together in one mind and one accord, seeking God, that's when God moves and there's unity, there's purpose, there's direction, there's order. And, uh, you know, when we look at these two stories, we want to gather together with the purpose of magnifying God 
and not ourselves. So that's the end of my sermonette. I will pass it back on to you. <laughs> I don't want it. Just just in the episode here. I mean, that's that's plenty. That's good enough. <laughs> just let's give the altar call. <laughs> wow. I mean, I mean, I, I I don't know what to say. I mean, that that was phenomenal, man. I mean, that you did a you did a fantastic job. I've never in my we we okay. So confession time, ladies and gentlemen of the audience. <laughs> Before we started recording, I was telling Ethan because I was poking fun at him because he had a sermonette in our notes because we can <laughs> see each other's notes. I was poking fun at him because I said, I don't know how you have all this because I've read the Tower of Babel story and I've not gotten a whole lot out of it. And he was telling me about the stuff that he had listened to. And I was like, OK, 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 we'll see. Now I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm like, I have missed this my entire life. Well, I, disclaimer, you know, this, this, just this week. I mean, so we had to delay the recording of this episode. And literally, between the night that we were supposed to record and now, like, about, I learned about half of this material. Like, I, it, it, I think I was, I don't remember if it was like I was researching it, but I've been listening to a few podcasts about the Bible, you know, whatever, you know, you got to learn from other people. And this came up and I was like, oh man, there's, this is so good. There's so much in here. I couldn't believe how much there was in, in the Tower of Babel story. So anyways, disclaimer, you know, this is not, not all my original thoughts. So, hey, but you still did a great job of bringing it forward. I've, I've never thought about, you know, there's a lot of times we record these episodes and I, I'll, I'll hand over my side of the audio and that's it. I don't, a lot of times I don't go back and listen to them. Um, but I, this is definitely one I know I will be going back and listening to because that section alone, uh, was tremendous. So, so great job. You know, I, I know you, you refer, you got a lot of this, uh, from reference material, but I mean, man, you, you did a phenomenal job of, of bringing that forward. Thank you, uh, for doing that. Oh, thanks, and, <laughs> and now, now I've got to go behind that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you, you, you do great, man. Just go, go for it, man. Just, just swing. So, oh yeah. You, you've got All it. right. Well, well, let's, let's get this train back on the tracks after I derailed it. Um, <laughs> Uh, all right, so we're going to pick up in, so we're still in chapter 11. Now, verses 10 through 26, uh, if, if you're reading along with us, and you may have already read ahead, um, that this is another, this is a section of another genealogy um, that is embedded in, uh, that is embedded in this chapter. And basically what this, this genealogy covers is uh, Shem, from Shem down to, we see the, the different generations that lead us to uh, Abram, uh, which is who we're going to talk about for, we're actually going to talk about Terah, um, but, but Terah is the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So again, not going to read those. I know Ethan doesn't, and I don't have any particular notes on this genealogy. So again, we encourage you go read it. Um, you know, God, God may be ready to give you something in this that he has not given us. Um, but for the sake of time, we're going to kind of head and skip down, um, down to verse 27 and we will finish out with verse 32. Um, so what I will do, I'll go ahead and pick up a 27. So verse 27 says, this is the account of Terah's family, Terah, Terah or Terah. So I don't know if I'm pronouncing that I, I right. I heard it Terah. So I, th- I think you got it right the first time. Okay. We'll go with Terah. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees, Chaldeans, Chaldeans, Chaldeans. Chaldeans, yeah. Uh, yep, Chaldeans. My goodness. The only, <laughs> it does look like Chaldeans. Just, it does look like Chaldeans. <laughs> your sermon has just wrecked me, man. I can't even read anymore. <laughs> you got this, man. You got it. Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, the land of his birth, while his father, Terah, was still living. Uh, meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. Uh, the name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iscah were daughters of Nahor's brother, Haran. But Sarah was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took his son, Abram, his daughter-in-law, Sarah, his son, Abram's wife, and his grandson, Lot, his son, Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. 
And I think I still butchered a few things in there, but we'll go ahead with that. And you really, Ethan, what do you have for you us? Got it, man. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, AJ. So, you know, we are we were just introduced, uh, like we talked about for a while, uh, to, to to Babylon in the previous section of of this chapter. So, so now we're introduced to a character who's actually from the land of, of Babylonia. Uh, in, in this piece, it's called Chaldea or of uh, the Chaldeans. It's uh, in Babylonia, and this guy's name is is Tara. Now, Tara has three sons. The first one's Haran, second one's Nahor, and the last one is Abram. Of course, this is Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham. He's the father of the Israelite nation. Uh, he's the father of faith. You know, a, a very, very important and famous uh, character in the Bible. Right. And, you know, at the beginning of this passage here of this of this reading, we, we notice that the family is living in Babylonia. They are living in this place that we we have established that it's a place of total rebellion against God. And uh, an interesting uh, thing, or I guess an interesting thing to look at is how each of the characters mentioned in this passage you know how how do they live their lives in relation to Babylonia, to this place of total rebellion against God? Well, the first one, Haran, he dies in Babylonia, and uh, he never left the land of Babylon. He lived there in that place of total rebellion against God his entire life. But after this happens. Abram's father, Terah, he has this realization that, hey, I don't think Babylonia is the place to be. He, maybe he's tired of the worldliness of Babylonia, and he feels the pull to leave that place. So he takes Abram, he takes Abram's wife, Sarai, and Abram's nephew, Lot, and they actually decide to go to the land of Canaan. And I find, you know, I, I don't think I recognized this or realized this before until mm-hmm. we were prepping, prepping for this episode. Uh, and I was like, wow, they're going to Canaan. This is the land that God is eventually going to promise Abraham and his descendants right. and the Israelites. And it's going to be an inherited inheritance to them for forever. And before that promise is extended to Abraham, uh, Tara here, he's like, man, let's go to Canaan. Let's go to the promised land. And uh, I just find that so interesting. It's like, you know, he's leaving Babylon, this place of worldliness, and he's going he's going to, you know, heaven on earth for the Israelite people. But for Terah, he decides to stop. He never gets to the promised land. And he stops in a town mm-hmm. called Haran, and, uh, and he dies there. And... You know, you know, I, I guess to, to, to take this for a spiritual turn, you and I have both decided, you know, you and I, AJ, y- y- mm-hmm. you listeners, you've, you, we all have decided that Babylon is not the place for us. We've decided right. that this world is not our home. We've been called to another place. We've been called to a heavenly country. We've been called to a heavenly home, but we cannot die on the way. We cannot stop and die like Tara did on our way to our heavenly home. Mm -hmm. We've got to have faith. We got to keep on pushing for the promised land and not become weary and well-doing. You know, Tara, I I, I find this so interesting that he was going to the land of Canaan. What if he had decided to keep on going? Would Mm -hmm. he have been called the father of faith? That's what Abraham, Mm -hmm. that's, that was his title. Maybe Tara could have been that, but he decided you know what? It's too hard. It's not worth it. I'm going to stop on my way to the promised land and I'm going to stay mm-hmm. here. So it was, it wasn't Terah who became the father of faith. Instead it was Abraham. And that's why, uh, Abraham is called the father of faith. He decided, Hey, this is not my home. Babylon is not my home. Right. That promised land is where I'm headed. So mm-hmm. that's all I've got. I'll hand it, hand it over to you, AJ. All right. Well, nice work again. And uh, a lot of what you hit on, especially there on the end, is exactly what I got caught up on uh, when I was reading over it. You know, um, 
but but I'll get I'll I'll pick up where you left off here in just a minute. There's a couple things I want to touch on. Uh, that's a couple verses ahead of that. Um, and you did you did outline where Haran uh, Lot's father did die, and we'll see in the coming chapters that Abram kind of steps up and becomes an overseer and a mentor. Uh, for Lot, uh, we actually see more of that in the next, uh, I think, chapter thirteen, I believe. Um, so we'll, we'll see more of that coming coming into play um, and his and those their roles together. Um, and another thing too, you know, here we see the first mentioning of of Sarai, and I know I mispronounced that when I read it. So Sarai um, being uh, being barren, um, we don't see really a clear reasoning for why. Um, but when I was doing my research. Uh, Romans 4:19 does cite that her barrenness uh was a sign of endurance of Abraham's faith in God's covenant that he establishes uh in the next uh in the next chapter chapter 12 and that Romans 9 and 2 also cites her birth her giving birth to Isaac as an example of God's power and dedication to fulfilling his promise or his covenant with Abraham so you know something that that on the surface looks so terrible you know the the thought of being barren um but actually this this proves um this proves abraham's faith uh in his covenant and it also is an opportunity for god's power to be uh displayed and exalted you know and and just in that alone i think that's something that we oftentimes forget is you know situations that are less than ideal um, that you know, we we don't really have an explanation for why is this happening. Um, sometimes there are things that happen in our lives that that God is God is going to use as a means to show off His glory and show off His power, right. um, because He is the Almighty God and and He wants to show us that there is no other God like Him. There is no God before Him. There is none greater than Him. And and I find myself, especially in the past few years, you know, when I'm praying, one of the things that I, I'm always trying to remember as I'm praying is, you know, Lord, let whatever it is for your will to be in my life, let your name be exalted in everything that happens, the good and the bad, you know, um, take every situation in my life and use it as an opportunity for exaltation and praise and worship to your name. You know, um, don't let them see me. Don't let them see poor pitiful me. And and if something great happens to me, just like the, the miracle of, uh, Sarah being, uh, being given the ability to give birth into Isaac, you know, don't let that in my life, don't let that be a, a call for people to come and pat me on the back and say, oh, that not that so wonderful? No, don't look at me. Look at the one who did it for me. Look at the one who worked the miracle in my life. Right. Let him receive the glory and the honor. So I um, yeah. didn't have that one in my notes, but it's just something that, that I really wanted to hit on. Um, but coming reach, back to where you left... AJ. <laughs> my turn um <laughs> so go, coming coming back to where you left off on Torah, uh being headed toward Can- again same I'm, I'm in the same boat with you um ethan when when i read this this was kind of a, i guess a little miniature revelation for me i was like wow i did never i did not realize that uh abram's father was actually bound for canaan he yeah. was heading for canaan himself yep. and uh then all of a sudden for for no apparent reason he just stops and when he stops he he dies where he stops and when i was doing some research there are some scholarly thoughts on this biblical scholars kind of pondering on this um, and a couple of things i saw that i wanted to mention um and i think it's probably one of these two theories i think one more than the other, and it's the one that you kind of were uh, were talking about, Ethan, but I'll go ahead and, and go over them quickly. Um, the first one was grieving. So if you'll notice, Terah lost one of his sons, the father of Lot, uh, Haran, and it could have been possible that as they journeyed uh, toward Canaan, they came into this land of Haran. I don't, you know, I don't know if this was where Haran was at when he died, and thus this was his land. I don't know all those details. There, I did see some postulation that 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 maybe when he came into the land of his dead son, that his grief overtook him, um, so that he got into a state in which he couldn't leave and he couldn't bear to leave uh, the land that was named after his son. So therefore, he stayed. 
and I'm not so much on that boat. Um, I'm more so on the boat of just the fact of, of settling. The New Living Translation yeah. says, uh, but they stopped and settled. I think that's very interesting how they how it is worded there. Um, and, and one thing I wanted to note was Terah was a very wealthy man. Um, he was the owner of a large group of livestock, silver, gold. And the reason I know this, because it's not spelled out here, um, is because we'll see, we'll read later on that Abram, basically has all these things in chapter 13 verse 6 and uh, it's a pretty safe assumption that 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 he inherited a lot of that from his father so um so you have this man with his family and all of these possessions and, and they're going as you said they, they've decided that they don't want to live in babylonia so they're they're marching toward canaan um but you know, maybe because he has all these things, um, he's become tired and maybe he's found land that was suitable for his livestock. Cause basically he's ushering along a caravan. You could kind of assume and imagine, um, and so therefore he chooses to abandon his journey and settle in the land of Haran, uh, so, uh, ultimately short of his ultimate destination in Canaan. And, and I, in my own mind, I had the same question posed. Had Terah made it to Canaan, would he have then been called the father of, you know, the father of the nation of Israel? And, and you know, would, would the situation had been different had he went on? But the biggest thing I got hung up on was the fact that he settled. And it's so... It's so, so tempting when, you know, things, when things line up like this, when we are on a march uh, towards something that God has promised for us, that, that we get to a certain point and, and, you know, maybe it's because we're tired. Maybe it's because of this, that, or the other, you know, name a reason. I mean, the flesh will give you every reason in the book and then start making some up. Um, but reasons will come uh, to your attention and it's like, I should give up now, or I've made it far enough, or maybe, hey, I'm out of Babylonia. I'm not in Canaan where I really need to be. It's not, I'm not where I was destined to be, but I'm out of where I was. But then now look at where you are. You're not where you were. You're not where you're supposed to be. So you're in the middle ground. And what does that remind me of? It reminds me of the scripture that says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. You know, we, it's never good to be in a middle ground that God does not. He, he does not like you, like us, like me in those middle ground areas. I, I've actually said this before on the podcast. He is a very binary God. Um, you're either in or you're out. You know, you're right. either a child of God uh, or, or you're serving the enemy. You know, the Bible says no man can serve two masters. Um, but yet in our own feeble mindset, we, we have created these gradiences uh, of gray area in between right and wrong. And we feel like as long as we're somewhere in the middle, maybe if we lean more toward the right, then it's kind of like we get rounded up and therefore we are right. But but that's not that's not how God sees it. You know, we Tarav was supposed to go to Canaan. But he didn't. He stopped. And because he stopped, and he may have, and, and here's another thing, he may have had intentions of starting back up again. Yeah. But look at how long he lived. He lived for 205 years, and he died in the place that he stopped. Yep. It could have been, you know, a year later, he could have said, well, I need to get back on the road to Canaan. Five years went by. I need to get back on the road to Canaan. 20 years went by. I need to get back on the road to Canaan. But then he drew his last breath, breath, and he was still in the land of Haran. That's right. Don't don't let that be you, and don't let that be me. Um, you know, if if I'm not where I need to be, if I'm not where God wants me and has called me to be, don't put it all. You know, you may have stopped for the moment. You know, the enemy may have may have managed to to get you to stop, but but don't don't settle. Do not settle in this place that you weren't meant to be. Go on to the place that God wants you to be, because that's where you'll receive the reward. But before you get there, if you don't, if you don't go there, if you, if, if we die before we get there, um, then it's too late. We've missed out on the promise. So didn't mean to end it on a kind of a low note, but that's just what the Lord has given to me. So that's all I have. Amen. Amen. Hey, Great job, AJ. Great job as always. Well, uh, I guess that's the end of chapters 10 and 11. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today. 
Hey, um, you know, we just want to give a shout out real quick to our listeners. And, uh, you know, it's, what's kind of cool about doing this, we're, we're using uh, anchor.fm to, uh, to distribute our podcast. And one mm-hmm. thing that's really cool about this is we get to see where our audience is at and we get to see uh, where people are listening in from. And I, I, we just kind of want to give a, a shout out to a few places. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so most of our listeners are in Mississippi and Texas. Uh, it kind of makes sense because uh, that's where uh, AJ and I live. But <laughs> that's where we be. <laughs> that's where we be. Uh, but we've also got listeners in, in Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, California. I, I don't know if I know anybody in California. I know I don't know anybody in California. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I take that back. No, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know many people, either, but uh, no. uh, Arkansas, Ohio. I mean, um, I, I actually Georgia. We have Georgia. I think we have as almost as many people there as uh, listening there as as in Mississippi. I don't know anybody in Georgia that I can think. Georgia of. is our number two state that that we have an audience in. And I apologize if I know you and you're in Georgia and I say this, but to my current recollection, I do not know of anybody in Georgia, but uh, forgive me, email me, let me know us. Yes. I was about to say email us. (laughs) We want to know who you are. Yes. But uh, anyways, we just want to give a shout out to you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we really enjoy this. And we hope and pray that that you guys learn something and, and that God speaks to, to your hearts as, as we, we read through his word. That's what it's all about is us getting into the word and letting God's right. word speak, speak to us and change us. So, right. All right. Well, I think that's about it. Uh, I guess we will see you guys uh, next time. You guys have a great week and we'll get back with you very soon. See you guys. All right. Hey. No, I'm not introing like that. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? I don't know. (laughs) That was half dead AJ. Oh, you should leave that in. You should let that be the intro for the the episode. (laughs) Yeah. We got to save all these sound bites. We'll just put it off for a blooper episode one day. Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay. All right. Let me try that again. You got this, AJ.